Hi, this is Nick. And this is Andy. And we host The Concession Stand, a podcast from two guys who work in the TV and movie business right here in Los Angeles. And you're listening to Busted Wide Open on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to the Busted Wide Open Podcast. Dropping the elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling. With your hosts, Nick Howell and Sir Ian Dangerous. Coming to you from the Orbital Jigsaw Network Arena in sunny Southern California. Welcome back to the Busted Wide Open Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. If this is if you're, if you're coming back, welcome back. This is episode number 34. I am your host, Nick Howell. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous. And Nick, maybe it's because I just watched Elias, Bo Dallas, and Gallows and Anderson sing Wonderwall to the crowd at WWE Brighton. But uh. I am elated today. <laughs> I am elated. How does are it, you? Doesn't have anything to do with uh, Rusev. Oh, well, yes, it does, because it's Rusev Day. It's Rusev. It's Rusev Day! Every day, Every day. is Rusev Day. Especially today, because we get to talk about Raw and SmackDown and the continuing build to Survivor Series coming up in two weeks. Yes, one week closer. Uh, we got one more week till the official go-home shows, I guess. That's right. One more week of build before we have the big climax before the show itself. Uh, I have no idea what that's going to be. So we're just, it feels a little bit like treading water, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I don't know. They got a lot done this week. We're, we're getting some of the teams are starting to get put together. We're seeing some of the people who are allegedly going to be on the teams. Although, of course, we could be swerved at any time I, you know they've got some feuds going on in the shows that really have nothing to do with survivor series uh but are but are kind of filling time but some of those are pretty entertaining and then other feuds are happening that are actually building two matches at survivor series or, or adding some plot to that so i think there is still stuff going on although it did feel like a bit of a slower week all things being considered that being said what show do you think pulled off the survivor series doldrums episodes a little bit better this uh. week raw or smackdown uh, I'm going to say, for me, SmackDown was a way better show than Raw was, for See, sure. I would actually agree with you. I think Raw was a little bit all over the place, uh, tonally and in terms of plot and in terms of execution. I thought SmackDown was a lean, clean, mean machine this week. But if we're going to talk about how these shows pulled off their episodes this week, we got to start with talking about Monday Night Raw. Yes, sir. Monday Night Raw was a show of returns this week. Stephanie McMahon came back yeah, for the first time in like six months. Let's run down everything that happened as far as the returns on this show, because those were kind of the that's the big talking point about the show this week is all the people that came back after middle to long level hiatuses. You know, Stephanie, like you said, probably uh, been out of the picture for the longest and she came back this week to to chastise Kurt Angle for his handling of this this build to Survivor Series. The fact that SmackDown attacked Raw, he didn't see it coming, and it was being friendly with Shane McMahon, who Stephanie also ran down, said bad things about. Ooh, naughty! Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but so she came back and kind of get, put the put the fear into Kurt Angle about his job because she is the commissioner. She holds a higher position than him, and she reminded us all of that. And she reminded us all that. It's a probably better thing that she wasn't on TV because I, I frankly can't stand when she's around. No, it was it was miserable. It, it took way too much time away from the actual show itself just to come out and give her a five minute, ten minute spotlight to be a McMahon is essentially what 
that was all about. It's just here. Oh, she's still here. Oh, she's still around. I don't. I don't have a, a problem in general with McMahon's coming out and being McMahon's. Uh, my issue, though, is when the McMahons come out just to put themselves over. And in Stephanie's case, that's pretty much all she does is she runs down whatever top face there is there. And then, you know, she never gets her comeuppance unless it's WrestleMania pretty much. So, yeah. you know, whereas Shane will put other people over. Vince really puts people over, uh, especially lately. But right now, Stephanie, her, her MO is to come out and just be annoying and to, to, you know, kind of break the plot in a sense. You know, this was actually good for the plot. It did give a lot of energy to the rest of the show. Kurt spent the rest of the show being freaked out, being worried and being stressed. And so that her presence did actually help that dramatic angle a bit. Uh, that being said, the less she's on TV, the better as far as I'm concerned. Well, Stephanie wasn't the only one that came back this week. We finally got the return of Samoa Joe. And I... Was very excited about this until Titus Worldwide came out and Apollo Crews. And I was like, great. So now he's kind of doing mid-card murdering jobbers kind of stuff for the first, Squash first time come of, back. Yeah. Uh, that's, this is not what I wanted to see. Maybe it was to shake off ring rust, whatever it was. But I have to believe that he's been training and working in the, in the, in the performance center or whatever to get back into shape. But Apollo Cruz, really? Well, here's the thing. So Samoa and Joe, poor Apollo Cruz. Well, poor Apollo Cruz. Definitely, at this point, he's he is just on a downward spiral. I can't remember the last time he won a match. But one thing that Samoa Joe said while he was on hiatus was that he had a bunch of nagging injuries he's had for a long time that he's never gotten fixed, and he was able to get most, if not all, of those fixed on his hiatus, on his break. Uh, so now that he's back, he looks in great shape. He looks in better shape than he was before. He looks tighter, cleaner, meaner. Like I, I'm excited to see what he's capable of doing now physically in the ring. Uh, I am a little underwhelmed with this way of bringing him back. Agreed. Uh, you know, I wanted to have him come back as something fierce at the top of the card and put, put, the, put the fear of God into the faces at the top of the card. Instead, it was more just kind of a... Uh, hey, guess who's back? It's Samoa Joe. He's going to win a match. Okay, moving on. I have a feeling he's going to be in the Survivor Series match. I still think they're high on him. They know he's a draw. This, however, was a, it was a little bit meh. This was meh. not the way to do it. It wasn't the best way to do it. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and Apo- I'll reiterate what I said before. Poor Apollo Crews. Uh, the guy is just, I don't know what happened. He came in hot. He had a Nice little run there at the very beginning, but ever since it has just been, you know, he is just carrying for, you know, people to just murder. Well, and the, the speculation is, is that he didn't spend enough time in NXT building any kind of character or really working on his ability to get across with the crowd. And as, as a result, he's never really connected. The guy has all of the athletic talent in the world, but he's never really gotten that, that next level of charisma that would get him over. And they've tried him as a, as a heel. They tried him as a face. And now he's just kind of there. Like we don't, is Titus worldwide a face group or a heel group? We don't even know. They just kind of exist to get beaten down. So, you know, I feel bad for the guy and I don't know. I don't know what they can do to fix him. At this point, I don't know that there is anything that you can do. It's going to take a like a total package revamp of sorts to uh, to really get him over. I think the Titus Worldwide thing might be dead. Uh, you know, I don't want to call it early, but it's it was on a hell of a run there for a while, and I was over as hell with that. But it's just a matter of uh, maybe it ran its course. It was it was over as well with me. I was really enjoying it, and I was enjoying when they started adding more people and people yeah. were getting involved in it. And now it definitely feels like it's fallen off. The writers have forgotten about it. And it's falling by the wayside. 
One guy that's not fallen by the wayside, we saw the return this week as well, of Braun Strowman, yes. the monster among men. All night long, we were teased that The Miz was terrified of Braun Strowman because he found some garbage in his room. And of course, the last time we saw Braun Strowman, he was being trash compacted in a large garbage truck. So Miz is running around all night trying to leave. Kurt won't let him leave. Uh, and he talks to everyone that he was just in this big uh, big match with, all of his allies, and none of them give him the time of day. Uh, he tells Kane that Braun might be after him, and Kane says, well, Braun knows where to find me. I ain't worried about you. Sheamus and Cesaro blow him off. So all he's got left is the Miztourage. So finally, the show, at the very end of the show, he's finally able to drive off, and his limo is blocked by a large garbage truck. Not the same garbage truck, no. by the way, that carted off Braun Strowman. A different garbage truck. The one that you might recall destroyed the Seth Rollins statue when he was in his feud with Sting, ironically. Hmm. Um, I don't even know why that's relevant, but it's, <laughs> that's what it was. Okay. So... You know, in this, in all these weird kind of up close camera angles, like shot very much like a really shitty action movie or like a slasher film. You see Miz and the and the boys panicking, trying to get out of the limo, and they can't get out of the limo, and the driver for some reason isn't backing it up. And then all of a sudden, the back of the garbage truck opens and trash falls out. Cut to the Miz being freaked out again, and cut back, and Braun Strowman rises out of nowhere, out of garbage, out of garbage, and raw. And then chases them off very, very entertainingly. I might have. He ran over the top of the limo, and that was terrifying to see a guy this size move like that. When you see a 385 pound anything moving that fast, get the hell out of the Going way. Going at 12 miles an hour at Just. you. Hell no. And he came out and murdered the Miz and the Miz Taraj entertainingly to close out the show. My issue here is how this was presented to us. Okay. This was so campy, and I don't mean that in a good way. This could have been, you know, there's a way to look at this and be like, okay, it's sports entertainment, haha, it was cute, it was campy, it was fun. I didn't take it that way. I was like, this is dumb. Has Braun Strowman been in the back of a garbage truck all week, and he just chose this moment to appear out of a garbage truck? It would have been two weeks, wouldn't it? Yeah, two weeks. Fine. (laughs) Even more dumb then. He was just rolling around, you know, the Midwest in a garbage truck for the last couple of weeks, and then the garbage truck went and got painted somewhere, so it's a different garbage truck. Right. And then he just rises out of the... Well, come on. This was... To me, this was a, a perfect example of something that I have a, a continuing beef with, with WWE, and that is the fact that they seem to have no idea how to keep a consistent tone or a consistent level of presentation. Either it's going to be very reality TV-ish where the you know you have the camera kind of shakily following people around and the cameraman has a presence in the room right and they're aware of the camera being there or uh, you know it's just they're they're catching these these happenings as they're as they're going on right or it's like this where the camera you know there's it's not a presence it's just us seeing inside the limo there's not a cameraman in there with them uh, you know, the cameras are catching all the right shots. We're cutting at the right time. We're getting reaction shots, et cetera, et cetera. But it's done in a very amateurish way. So it doesn't even feel like a good production of a slasher film, which is, they might've been going for here or an action movie or whatever. So in my opinion, when something like this happens, I want to be entertained by it, but I'm too busy being taken out of it by the inconsistencies of their presentation. And, and the fact that it doesn't come across as cool or funny or whatever, like, like on, for instance, Fashion Files, where it's it's intentionally very hard winking at the camera, uh, this just came across as silly. I enjoyed it. I have to say, this is one of my favorite parts of Raw. Really? I agree with you that it's campy and silly and out of tone, and it doesn't make any sense that Braun Strowman's been living it, packed into a garbage truck for the last two weeks that 
may or may not be the same color. Whether or not that was what they intended to do or intended to imply is neither here nor there with me. I enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed the 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 concept and the fun of Miz trying to escape the building and constantly getting stopped by Kurt or by whatever something else. And every single time he would keep going back and keep going back and 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 just try and get it out. But the other thing where he chased him off. And where this really paid off for me was something I hadn't seen in a while that I really enjoyed was in the middle or at the very tail end of a match, the Miz and the Miztourage run out onto the ramp after having been chased by Braun Strowman. And they come out and then just all kinds of stuff is happening while some, either someone else is celebrating their victory. I believe it was Kane and uh, Finn Balor. I think it wasn't. It, wasn't it after the Alexa match at the very end of the show? Maybe. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Alexa was celebrating. That's right. Uh, Alexa was doing her thing in the ring, and then all of a sudden, the camera just cuts to the top of the ramp during her music playing, and you see the Miztourage just scrambling at the top of the ramp. That whole kind of continuation and... Uh, of the whole show into one thing, almost like a one take of things going on backstage and up front. I really enjoyed how it all kind of came together. See, I enjoyed that aspect of it too. But again, we t- we're talking about my beef is the inconsistency. I don't mind if you want to have a segment where Braun comes rising out of the back of a garbage truck, which makes no logical sense. But if you're going to do that and be essentially a Saturday morning cartoon, then you know keep that consistent. Keep being silly. Like Let us know that's part of the whole thing. Don't act like on other parts of the show like that isn't something that can happen or or that it, that isn't uh you know you're you're trying to be too serious or 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 make things too logical like fine if you're going to go off the deep end go off the deep end i love lucha underground and that show makes i mean that's just completely out of out of out of left field with some of the things they pull off sure but it's consistent and the other thing is it's a level of maturity as well you know, when I say it's a Saturday morning cartoon versus when I talk about Lucha Underground, which I see is more of a comic book, I'm I'm making those statements based on the level of maturity that I'm seeing being portrayed by them. You know, in the case of WWE, a lot of this stuff, as I said, is very amateurishly shot and it feels very juvenile and it feels like it's made for a, a very young kid audience. Uh, but then you turn around and you have stuff where they're trying to play to an older crowd as well. And I don't think you can have it both ways. You have the companies that are most successful with their presentation being consistent across all things. New Japan consistently shows us that it's it's trying to be like a genuine, quote unquote, sports company. It presents everything with press conferences like UFC, like backstage segments, you know, where everything feels more natural. Ring of Honor, I would say, is more of a crossover between that and WWE, but leaning more heavily towards the New Japan presentation. As I said, Lucha Underground, they completely go off the rails and like, yep, this is completely fiction. This is a whole other world where there are zombies and dragons and people in lizard masks who are actually lizard people. Like, just go with us. Just go with us. WWE, and this goes back to what we were complaining about earlier with the Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt stuff, is you have all of this stuff where people are very, you know, they're they're normal people. You're getting this kind of sports presentation, quote unquote, right? Very realistic, realistic presentation. But then all of a sudden you have, you know, Mojo Man from Mars, Bray Wyatt versus, you know, weird spiritual demon guy, Finn Balor. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't work to have all of those things mushed together on one show. I know that Vince likes to have a smorgasbord where everyone gets a little bit of something, but at a certain point, you have to explain or you have to give us some consistency with why there are these other elements in here. Otherwise, they're going to cancel each other out and we're only going to accept one or the other. 
You know what I mean? It's going yeah, to gonna 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 break, us, it's gonna break us out of whatever story you're trying to tell, either on the one side or the other side. Either we're going to get broken out of the realistic storylines, or we're going to get broken out of the kind of goofy, campy ones. I can't enjoy the campiness if it if it stands out like a sore thumb, like it did here. So that's that's my rant. Rant over. Well, the one outcome of this that we now know is that Kurt has added Braun Strowman to the Survivor Series match, and I'll I'll accept your apology now from last week for telling me that that wasn't going to happen. And tell t- me, you can tell me I was right. I am not telling you until I see him in that match on Survivor <laughs> Series. They're still okay. two weeks away, and I'm waiting right. for a swerve when Kane steps uh. in and causes him to not be in the match and there's something else after. I think it's too lopsided if you have Braun Strowman on one team uh, against the, the SmackDown team. It, it just makes Raw look too overpowered if they have him on that team. The only thing I can think is if somehow Kane ends up on the team and then they fight and they take each other out and then Raw's got to fight with basically two people or three people, excuse me. So, I, I, yeah, I still, I'm not apologizing yet and I'm not, I'm not saying that you're right until I see that match and Braun Strowman is on that team with Kurt Angle, who, by the way, got put into the match by Stephanie as the yes. team captain. So, yes, we now know that Kurt Angle at the top of the show was named the team captain. Uh, and well, we found out who the team captain was over on SmackDown this week that we'll talk about later. We'll get to that. But speaking of team captains, another team captain that uh, kind of threw her weight around on this Monday Night Raw was Alicia Fox. Alicia Fox was supposed to have a match with Bailey, but she was saying she was too busy being team captain her with her with her captain's hat on. Right. Uh, so she said Bailey had to have a match with someone else to earn her way on the team. That someone else was a returning theme. Continuing, you see the theme going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a returning. Nia Jax, your favorite. She's back. Yay, Nia. Hey, Nia. Can't, can't no? you hear my excitement no. in my voice? No. Are you not excited that she and Bailey had a match and she ended up beating Bailey and now she's on the women's team? Not only did she beat Bailey, but she it, Corey Graves even referenced this in the match is back in NXT. Bailey beat Nia with that submission move where she choked her out yeah. and Nia found a way to counter it in this one and beat Bailey. I thought that was a nice little bit of history they threw in there and it kind of it almost made me feel better about Bailey losing clean to Nia. Of all of the women on the roster, the first two women on the Raw Survivor Series team are Nia Jax and Alicia Fox. I'm so in for this. Uh, you got me going. Uh, yeah. Okay. I I just I don't have a choice. I've just got to go with it. I I'm not. Th- these are not the first names I would have put on the the, the team. Well, we got three slots left. Yeah. Who do you think else is going to be on the team? Sasha Banks. Is Bailey somehow going to still get on the team? I think Bailey still gets on the team somehow. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if Sasha Banks ends up on the team. Uh, I would say Sasha's way more likely than Bailey at this point. Okay. Uh, well, if it was an elimination for her, to, if it was a determination, whether it's Nia or Bailey. In that match, then then the decision's been made. Bailey's not going to be on there. But I just like you could see somehow Braun not being completely on the men's team. I could see a way where they figure out how to put Bailey onto the uh, onto the women's team. They're try. It feels like they're trying to push her again. Yeah. Well, they're not pushing her by having her lose to Nia. But I I see oh. your point, and I and I see. I think you're right. I think there is a way. That obviously, they could write Bailey to still be on the team and kind of be the. And they and you know maybe that's something that would be good for Bailey's character is to have her be kind of the underdog who gets on at the last minute and she just has to pluckily figure out a way to get on that team. That that could actually play well to the character that she should be playing. Yes. They should be writing for her. Yes. Uh, do you know who's not going to be on the team though? Summer Ray and Emma, because they no longer Oof. work for the WWE. Well, let's be clear. Summer Ray hasn't worked for the WWE in about three years. <laughs> she she's just basically just been an Instagram model, uh, and arguably Emma, you know, for that same reasons. Uh, but how do you how do you put Emma 
into the last pay-per-view to, to be the one that debuts Asuka, the one that works with Asuka in her first WWE match at Tables, Ladders, and Chairs. And then you have a repeat the next night. Yeah, that was arguably better than the one that was at the pay-per-view, and then you can her? Yep. What? Yep. What? Yep. What was weird to me wasn't that she was the one to face Asuka and then she got future endeavored. What was weird to me was that she was allowed to get so much offense in on Asuka before she was future endeavored. She looked great. We got to see the Emma that we've all known, that those of us have been watching her and watching wrestling for many years now. Yes. Did she start the women's revolution? Eh, arguable, <laughs> debatable, but Lita, she has Lita been and a Trish big would like part a of it. Yeah, no, she has. You're you're right, but here's the thing: we don't know when Emma got the news she was getting future endeavored. If it w- if it was in fact the day that we heard about it and she tweeted out that it happened, or if she was told, "Hey, this is it. This is your swan song," and she goes out on a high note with the strongest booked woman they have on any of their rosters. So maybe that was their way of you know giving her a nice send off. I don't know. I'm looking on the bright side of this. All I know is uh. There was a few future endeavorings, and Darren Young also got caught up in it as well. So he's gone. We haven't seen him in forever, so you know, no big loss there. But at the same time, I always liked his work, and you know, they really tried with him, though. They They really, really tried. They put him with Titus for the longest time. He did a a whole thing with Bob Backlund for a year. That got derailed by injury, which is the unfortunate thing. Sure, but just they tried so many different ways, and he's a fantastic athlete. But there's just no character, no charisma, no. No, did, nothing else. Yeah, he reminded me a lot of like a David Otunga, but for some reason, David Otunga still has a job. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, not announcing, though, because, my God, you're right, man. You, I think you put it this way, that they found the Goldilocks sweet spot on both of the shows now. Like, we've still got Michael Cole on Raw, which is fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm mostly used to him, except when he screams out, it's boss time or the big dog or any of that crap that I know that he's being told to say. But my In God. defense of Atunga, he is the one that came up with no chin music for James Ellsworth. Did he? Yeah. For the, did he when really? He did the super kick, or was that written for him? I don't know, but he's the one that said it. If, you know, whether or not he I'm wrote it, I'm giving him credit for it whether because I he, haven't heard anybody else say it. Whether or not he wrote it, it still was delivered poorly because he can't freaking announce. Stay, stay off the mic. You sound Atunga. like Michael Cole now. Uh, well, speaking speaking of releases. Uh, it's one little rumor we had to touch on really quickly and hopefully put to bed. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Finn Balor, after this night's show, tweeted out a picture of a tombstone saying, bye, on it. What? Possibly teasing a departure. At least that is the, that is the rumor that everyone got online. And I'm here to say, people, calm the hell down. This is Finn Balor trolling you. He has a history of trolling people online. He's doing it again. He basically got tombstoned by Kane a couple times on this show, found Google's fourth image for tombstone, and just put that <laughs> online. Calm down. Finn's not going anywhere. Cruiserweight division. It, it, he's not going to the cruiserweight division either, Nick. That's he's saying not. For a lot. I can't he's going wait. to the main event. I can't That's where wait he's going. Till he shows up in the cruiserweight division so I can just throw that in your face. Oh, oh b- bring it on. The day he shows up <laughs> in the cruiserweight division, you can throw it in my face for the. I will, I will issue an apology you to you every show. you told me six show. months ago that Enzo Amore would, be, Amore would be headlining the cruiserweight division, I would, I would have believed you. I would not. I would have believed you. But I, I'll tell you right now Finn, no, Finn Balor is never going to the cruiserweight division, it's just not happening. <laughs> Did I say? Did okay. I say never? Last time I said never. Samoa Joe proved me wrong, but I'm, I mean it this time. 
Not going to happen. If it does, he should leave. I'll tell you that. Uh, speaking of Finn Balor, he did have a match against Cesaro, which was an excellent match. Yes. Um, I thought it could. Like, I did feel like these guys were coasting, but they're just so good that they can make, a, you know, for them, what is a mediocre match into a, it looks like a great match. Yes. Well, they, were, they work well together. Similar styles, similar speeds. I mean, Cesaro with his power and that crazy superplex off the apron all the way over the ropes that he does. That just looks devastating and wow. And he can do that with guys like Finn Balor because yeah. Finn Balor's so light. Because he's a cruiserweight. Uh, this was a great match, but unfortunately, like you said, you thought they were just cruising along. I cruiser waiting along, cruising along. Get it was all it. just a setup to bring out Kane so that he could just murder him. Murder Finn again. Yeah, yep. no, Finn goes over Cesaro clean, which... To be honest, I wasn't surprised about it. First of all, it's the 50-50 booking. Finn lost to Kane last week. Now he gets a win over someone who's, you know, considered to be reasonably legit at this point, which is Cesaro. Yeah. Cesaro just he is that guy who's going to put over the bit the he's, he looks legit enough to put over bigger guys, like uh, bigger in terms of stature, not in terms of size. Okay, calm down. I know cruiserweight joke. Don't do it. Uh, but in this case, I was a little worried about Cesaro's status. Here's the thing. Right now, he's a tag team wrestler. If he loses a singles match, it's not that big of a deal. So I'm not too worried about Cesaro at the end of the day. But I am worried about Finn Balor because this is two weeks in a row now that Kane has taken him out. Now, granted, both times take Kane has done it in a very vicious way that is devastating. It doesn't look like he's actually beating Finn per se. He's, you know, he gave him three, to- three choke slams last week and a few tombstones. He gave him a tombstone on the stage this, this week. So both times Finn's kind of protected, but it's still a little bit like, like what? I mean, here's the thing: is is this what they're? Is this how they're going to put Kane over on us by having him beat some of their bigger guys? I don't know, but I I hate watching Kane wrestle when there's not, when I know that when he wins there's no pyro at the end. He's not going to raise his hands up and slam him down, and we're going to get fire shooting up out of the ring posts. Yeah, that that's Kane for the last twenty years, and I we're now we're not seeing that all of a sudden because no pyro. And uh, it's kind yeah, of boring. they've cut everyone's pyro. AJ's entrance is is lacking. Brock's uh, entrance is lacking. Like, and Kane, I think, has the worst of it all because his entrance was pyro. It's like Scott Hall without the hey yo. It's like Stone Cold without the the glass breaking, right? Or without any beer. You know what I mean? It's, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel right to not have him have pyro. Like he should be the one guy. And you can hear in the music they're trying to get the fire crackle yeah. sound, sound effects and in the there. And the boom. To, they get the boom in the music, and it's kind of like, yeah. meh, uh, meh. Not, a, not the same effect. Yeah, it doesn't. And here's the other problem is as, as incredible as it is that Kane is still able to work at the level that he is at whatever, 50 years old he is now. Yeah, 52, I think. Uh, you know, obviously he is being built up to face off against Braun Strowman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, he, this week he beat Seth Rollins clean. In a match, like he came out and beat up Finn Balor, but he came out in anticipation of a match with Seth Rollins. He beat Seth clean. And then when uh, when Ambrose tried to interfere at the end of the match, he beat down Ambrose with the help of the bar. But then, you know, Kane's standing tall at the end over these guys. So here's Kane looking strong, looking strong, looking strong. And they're, they're you know, pretty much devastating all of the major baby faces on the show to try and put over this 50-year-old guy to make him look strong for Braun Strowman. Here's the problem is physically... Looking at Kane, looking at how he moves, especially when you end the show with Braun Strowman running a million miles an hour and, you know, power slamming guys through tables. I'm sorry. I don't care how much you're trying to put over Kane. I don't believe that he is a match for Braun Strowman no. by a million years. There's, you know, there's no way. And, and frankly, 
to, to bury everybody else in service of putting Kane over, it, it's annoying. It's, and, it, it's, and it didn't stop with guys on, on, on this show because this week we had a surprise appearance from SmackDown Live general manager Daniel Bryan uh, into the show to come over and confront Kurt Angle and be like, look, I had no idea this was going on. Bygones, let's figure out a way to, to do this diplomatically, right? But we can figure out how to do this so we don't know yeah, more apologizing, apologizing for Shane. Right, right. Yeah. All that stuff. Kurt says, you know what? Appreciate it. Respect. Wait right here in the office because I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want anybody else to know you're in here. Leaves him, locks the door, turns the lights out, and all of a sudden all you have is Daniel Bryan's glow from his cell phone and you get a kind of a silhouette view of Kane's face with him choke slamming. And he choke slams Team Daniel Hell Bryan. No re, reuni- reunited, right? Yeah, I liked how they pointed that out that, that they, they did bring up that they used to be tag partners. Right. Um, there was a lot of aspects of this part of the plot that I was that was actually genuinely intrigued by. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, Daniel Bryan being the conscience of SmackDown Live and kind of coming across to Raw to apologize. What will be the ramifications of that? The fact that Kurt trapped him in the room, did Kurt know? Was he putting him in there to have him be killed by Kane? Was someone else responsible for that? There's lots of aspects to this that leave me salivating for, for more plot points. I'm like, is this going to go somewhere? Or is this, this just WWE being like, hey, it'd be cool if Kane killed Daniel Bryan. It was a way to give Daniel Bryan a bump without actually giving him a bump. Because yeah, because you didn't actually see it. You didn't actually see him get chokeslammed. Right. So, you know, he's still not actually taking bumps because he's not allowed to. Um, is be- there any idea in your head that you think maybe this is the only way that Raw's going to retaliate by, by hurting the GM? Right. Like, are, are they actually going to go on the offensive and invade SmackDown? Or are they just going to beat the crap out of anyone who comes to Raw from now on? Like, I don't know. We still have two weeks. Raw may retaliate, or it may be something like that where... Kane goes rogue or Stephanie is the one who's actually taking, you know, Stephanie's in charge. Because remember last time we saw Kane, he was corporate Kane and and Stephanie was pulling his strings. Right. So they could call back to that. Sure. Uh, The other little interesting aspect of this, and and I think I'm probably reaching here, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. The fact that they mentioned Kane and Daniel Bryan's previous relationship makes me think, are they going to go somewhere with specifically Kane and Daniel Bryan in the future? Are they going to have a storyline? Is Daniel Bryan going to be allowed to wrestle at some point? And if so, will he be facing Kane? Because here's the speculation as well, is that Kane is going up against Braun and he's been given this really strong run as sort of like his last ride, the, the last ride of the big red machine, right? He's given like a big push. He's made to look strong and then Braun's going to retire him. Or is he going to get put down by Braun and he's going to have another little thing with Daniel Bryan where he's really retired by Daniel Bryan? My speculation on this is we've heard in the recent months that Daniel Bryan has gotten a second opinion on the second opinion that has potentially cleared He's had like him. like third and fourth opinions. Sure, but there's somebody, he found a loophole somewhere that said that got him medically cleared. That said he wasn't actually suffering from the things that forced him to retire originally, right? My theory on this is that it becomes a GM versus GM in the next couple of weeks for Survivor Series because now that we have Kurt Angle set up for Monday Night Raw, Shane has stepped up that we heard this week on SmackDown that we'll talk about later is going to be the GM for the time being, but I could totally see this kind of retaliation attack on Daniel Bryan being a thing where we get old, fired-up Daniel Bryan back to go in and go, Shane, no, Shane, I want this. I'm the captain. I'll tell you what. I I think that you're... I, I don't think that you're right on that. I don't think that that's going to happen. However... I think that you may have an idea in the sense that Daniel Bryan may I think it's I still think it's a distant chance. Sure. 
But if Daniel Bryan gets involved, it's going to be such a big deal to have him come back. I think it would be a swerve in the middle of the match. I think it'd be something where in the middle of the match or at the end of the match, Daniel Bryan comes out to help save Team SmackDown and gets involved. I could see that happening. I, I don't, I mean, again, it's WWE. Any kind of dumb decision is possible. Alicia Fox is a captain. Kurt Angle is a captain. You're going to tell me it's beyond the realm of possibility that Daniel Bryan could be the captain of the SmackDown team? As I was just giving you a caveat that it's yeah. it's not beyond the realm of possibility, I just don't think that's how they would do it. I hear you. I hear you. Oh, well, it wasn't on the Hulu edition. There were some other things that we got to go through, but uh, Oscar murdered a jobber. I, which you is, know? you know what? Back on track for Asuka. You yeah. know, I thought, I thought that she looked a little bit vulnerable against Emma, and I didn't think that was the best way to debut her, although they were great matches. They needed to debut her as a murderer, and here she was a murderer. She kicked the crap out of this poor jobber. Uh, this was a callback to when they were putting over Nia Jax and Braun Strowman, and they were yeah. just... They're basically going out there and being told to work as stiff as possible. Well, you tell Asuka to work stiff and someone's head's going to come off. <laughs> so, yeah, she she murdered this poor jobber. She looks like a killer again. They're obviously building her to take on everyone in the women's division after Survivor Series. She's basically going to be a buzzsaw running through all the names in the women's division. I have a feeling after we get through Survivor Series. Also on the show this week, we had something that, God, I wanted to like more than I did, but ended up just... Kind of annoying me. Maybe I just got up on the wrong side of the bed. But we had a, a tricker street fight, a gimmick street fight between Gallows and Anderson and Heath Slater and Rhino, where they all dressed up for Halloween and threw pies and pumpkins and whatnot at each other. And it ended up with Gallows and Anderson being put through a table. And uh, I'm sorry. This was, this was sports entertainment. I'm not even going to say at its finest, at its lowest. Like This is just pandering crap sports entertainment. And frankly, I was amused by the fact that that uh, Heath Slater and Rhino came out as Mr. and Mrs. Claus, although we're burying Rhino as a terrifying character even further by doing this, by having him as Mrs. Claus, frankly. But Gallows and Anderson came out as Chad Too Bad and Tex Ferguson from Southpaw Regional Wrestling. That that bugged me. That bugged me. Why I, did I, it bug you? I wanted to, I wanted to be excited about it. I was like, oh, the Southpaw, ha-ha, this is so much fun. But at the same time, I think that it it pulls away from the fun of Southpaw to have those characters fighting in real matches. It, uh, you know, it, it confuses the line of kayfabe when Gallows and Anderson are dressing up as those characters. You know what I mean? Are I they know. really those characters? Are they dressing up as those characters? Are they actors playing those characters on Southpaw Regional Wrestling? The whole thing is just confusing. It's more of just like an easy way to get a pop. And it's a cheap way to get a pop or, or get people going, ah, there's the Southpaw guys. You know what I mean? It's, it's scatterbrained fast food. And that was one of the reasons that this show felt so schizophrenic, that this particular episode of Monday Night Raw felt so sch- schizophrenic. You throw in the Braun Strowman with the trash, uh, some of the stuff with Stephanie at the beginning, and then this, and it just it feels. That's why we're saying it feels like it's all over the place because it really was. There was no real through line to this story, right? And even if this show, even if you're entertained by the specific instances of you know Braun coming up from the garbage or these sure. guys having this gimmick match, it feels so all over the place. It feels like you're trying to do too many things that you're not doing the things that you're doing well. You know what I mean? You're not focusing on one thing and doing it well. You're trying to do a million things and doing none of them well at all. <laughs> you know, be funny. What, what would be funny, Nick? Let, let, let's have Gallows and Anderson come out as their Southpaw Regional Wrestling guys, and they can go through pies at Rhino. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. That actually, it, it hurts me so bad to even hear you put it that way because I have a feeling that with minus the voice, that's actually exactly what happened. Or a, 
<laughs> hey, man. <laughs> it would be funny. No, no, man. They have testing. They, we know that they don't oh, do yeah, that yeah. at all. Wellness policy. All yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's good company now. Yeah. PG era. That's right. Uh, that's, uh, I'm not saying that that's, that's why Roman got suspended, but I'm not not saying that. What's, uh, what else happened on Monday Night Raw to kind of close out the show here? Well, speaking of, speaking of things that did work, uh, Drew Gulak came out with Enzo Amore and cut another promo, which if there's someone who is getting himself over by this whole Enzo being involved in the Cruiserweight division thing, it's Drew Gulak. Because that guy has just been, you know, the more TV time he's given, the more people realize what he's doing and the more they see it, the like, the better it is and the, the more over he is. Oh, he saddled that horse and rode off into the sunset oh as far as God. I'm concerned. He is he, he is winning the game right now when as far as I'm concerned. When you can stand next to one of the best mic guys in WWE, which is Enzo, and have Enzo be like, you talk, bro. Like, that's saying something. He's He is taking the mic from Enzo and getting himself over next to one of the guys who's the best at it in the game. Yeah. So that's props to him. And I'm sorry, but that him spelling soft, S-O-F-T, yeah. as opposed to S-A-W-F-T, that was way over with me. I, I, I couldn't help but crack <laughs> up at that. That was fantastic. But he had a match against Kalisto and, of course, got beaten really quickly because we're building up for potential Kalisto-Enzo rematch. Again... <laughs> At Survivor Series, which I really don't care that much about, and mostly because of Kalisto. Uh, at this point, I mean, come on, Drew Gulak's more over than Kalisto at this point. Most people in the Cruiserweight division are more over than Kalisto at this point. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. If Kalisto that. does not do the crazy Selena Del Sol move, it just there's not much else going on in his arsenal that makes him an entertaining wrestler. And that's an interesting thing I want to talk about when we get to SmackDown in a couple of minutes is his former tag team partner in Sin Cara. And the way that they're treating Sin Cara now on SmackDown is an interesting contrast to how they're treating Kalisto right now to varying uh, degrees of, of, of results. You know, I don't think Kalisto is getting over the way that they want to. They're, they're trying the Rey Mysterio angle with him, and it's just not working. And this is this to this on this show was another example of that. It just people aren't getting behind him, and it's uh, it's it reminds me of kind of the Apollo Cruz thing, or, yeah. or 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 something else we had to talk about, which is Jason Jordan. It reminds me a little bit of Jason Jordan, who also this week had another uh, encounter, if you will, with Elias. And of course, last week Elias hit him with a guitar and left right. an enormous bruise on his arm. Well, this week Jason Jordan came out, interrupted Elias, and broke his guitar, which Elias had a great reaction to. Um, I don't know that this feud isn't really anything as far as I'm concerned, but uh, it's not doing service to, to either one of their capabilities. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's treading water. We've got pretty much got the card for survivor series laid out at this point, And we've just got to get past that before they can do anything else with these guys. Well, it's sort of a weaker attempt to do what they were trying to do with Roman reigns and the Miz, right? Sure. Roman can't get cheered to save his life. So they put him against the Miz who is just a heat magnet and can get, anyone cheered opposite of him right right same idea just on a lesser scale they're trying to get jason jordan over elias is one of their biggest heat magnets so they have jason jordan come out and interrupt and and put down elias and and you know basically be the crowd wanting elias wanting elias to shut up yeah jason jordan's the guy who's shutting him up right so they're trying to get him over in that way and it's more or less working but mm, i don't think anyone cares well we also saw a backstage segment with Alexa Bliss uh, confronting Kurt Angle and you know, bas- or Kurt confronting her, saying, "Where were you last week? We were getting attacked. Yada yada yada. Why weren't you here to help?" Well, tonight you're going to put your title on the line against Mickey James in the main event. Didn't Mickey James just 
lose a match? Why is she doing a rematch? Teary-eyed promo and how, you know, what great, a great career she has. Great you know? babyface promo, by sure, the way. Sure, I'm not knocking it, but all of a sudden, a week later, it's like it didn't happen. Now we're just having yet another title defense. And to be honest, for a while there, I thought Mickey might take it here. And there's a reason, is that we have so many of these matches that are being built for Survivor Series that are heel against heel. Right now, it's Alexa versus Natalia, Baron Corbin versus The Miz. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're not seeing... Even arguably Jinder against Brock. I mean, obviously, yeah. Brock will be face in this match sure. no because everyone's a face against Jinder. But technically, right now, they're both heels. The bottom line is, is that... I thought this might be one where they go, you know what? We need another face versus heel match. We'll give it to Mickey and she can be the face against Natalia and have kind of like a, not a legends match, but like a veterans match, if you will. Right. I mm, thought that okay. would have been an interesting. I thought that was what they're going to go for. Instead, Mickey gets taken out by a, by a knockout blow to the face. Huh? What? I thought it was a botch. Actually, at a certain point, I was like, was the match supposed to end there? Like, that's how sudden and abrupt and weird it was to me. The end of this match. Was this really the main event? Have we gotten to the point where this is, you know, this is the Monday night football spot or the place, the things that are supposed to be the quote unquote main events are happening where Monday night football ends usually. And then the, the later spots are happening. It's starting to look that way, isn't yeah. it? Ever since Monday night football came along, you're starting to see cruiserweights in the third hour the quote-unquote main event right. spot, and you're starting to see people like The Bar, people like Ambrose and Rollins, you know, Kane, Braun Strowman, they're all at this end of the second hour because they're trying to draw people over to their show. I definitely think that, you know, as much as they still call it the main event at the end of the third hour, it definitely, definitely feels like they're uh, loading up their second hour more than their third hour. They did end the show with Braun Strowman killing The Miz. Like you said, like we said earlier, they came out at the end of the Alexa and Mickey match and had all of their business at the stage and all throughout the arena and through a bunch of tables, etc. So that was a, way, a strong way to end the show. But at the same time, it felt like the match earlier with uh, Seth and Kane and Cesaro and Balor, all that in the second hour, that felt more like the big matches, the, the meat of the show, as opposed to the end of the show. You know, I'd be interested to see the numbers for Raw this week as far as uh, as viewership uh, and more specifically next week because I think the following week will be more telling of how the previous week performed and how they set up things, uh, especially on the go-home shows for Survivor Series. But uh, I, I have to reiterate what we said at the beginning. This was one of my least favorite episodes of Raw in a really long time. And it's funny because it's been reviewed well online and a lot of people liked it. But just for me, and I agree with you, this didn't work for me at all. It felt all over the place. It felt scattershot. A lot of the matches felt meaningless or they felt redundant. Uh, I was not a big fan of the show. And I was really hoping that SmackDown Live this week would step up and and tend to take some of the weight of Raw off of my shoulders. But if we're going to talk about SmackDown Live, we got to go talk about SmackDown Live. Well, over on SmackDown Live, Shane McMahon opened the show yet again, explaining yet again why they invaded Monday Night Raw. Yeah, this seems to be something that they have a habit of doing on SmackDown, is when they're not satisfied with how they do something the first time, they do it again. Women's, they women's ladder match comes The women's money in the bank match, uh, Corbin and Nakamura, Ziggler and Nakamura, they'll redo things, and it'll be better the second time. And that was the case here, too. Like this, this week, Shane explained why he invaded Monday Night Raw again. But this time, it was a better explanation. It made more sense. It had more of a logical through line to it. Uh, and I, you know, it's like, why couldn't they have done this 
last week, instead of this kind of rambling speech he gave last week that didn't really give us any satisfaction this week, he's saying, oh, well, the perception has always been SmackDown as a second brand. We wanted to show them that that's we, they can't consider us that way. We wanted to get in their faces about it. This all made more sense. And he wasn't interrupted this time. He got through the whole thing. Yep. So this was, in a lot of ways, a, a better segment than their one from last week. I just don't know why they keep having to do things <laughs> twice to get them right. I don't know, but at the the culmination of this, we found out that Shane named himself captain of the Survivor Series team for SmackDown Live. Uh, great. Is that a good idea? Uh, there's not a cage involved, so why is Shane getting involved? <laughs> well, he's been involved before. He's been involved in some five-way matches before. Remember the sure. time when Roman Reigns speared him so hard, he almost knocked his teeth out in front of his kids, and Randy Orton had to go tell his kids, your dad's fine, he's not dead. He just looks dead. <laughs> uh, no, this isn't the first time that Shane has been involved in these big matches. Obviously... Shane likes to get involved. The company likes Shane to get involved. I think Vince thinks that his son is a draw and he's not entirely wrong. Shane, I think is a draw. Uh, the pro- there's twofold problems with this one. You know, I Shane is taking the place of other people who are actually wrestlers. Yes. Like he is a personality. He's a character on the show and it makes sense to have the character that he is involved, but to speak to some of the other characters on the show and their, storylines specifically kevin owens and Sami Zayn, their whole point is shane is putting himself in all of these situations he's making himself the star of the show it's supposed to be the land of opportunity but instead you have the the commissioner putting himself in positions that wrestlers should be in that's their point that's the point that the heels are trying to make and they're not wrong no they're not they're not wrong you know as much as i like shane shane mcmahon as a as a character as a wrestler uh he's not a super he's not a superstar like in the like a wrestler superstar you know so and it, it there in a way is i a feel point. bad for the, that that someone's getting left out exactly in order to have shane be a part of this match right like you know everyone was before wrestlemania everyone was complaining about how the only opponent they could find for aj styles was shane mcmahon now in hindsight it's all is forgiven because they put on a fantastic match uh possibly because you know aj can't really have a bad match right but also it's still one of those things where why did we have to have Shane versus AJ? Why does Shane have to be involved in this? I'm, I'm not I'm not mad at it at the end of the day. It just does make me kind of stop and wonder. Well, I like the idea of having a captain, but I think maybe we should change the word captain to coach and have them be an external outside the ring quarterback of sorts that determines who's going to take the tags and who's going to do certain things and I could see something playing into that where you don't actually get into the ring and wrestle but you're a sideline coach that's calling shots that I could I would certainly enjoy and I know this is breaking like the the legacy of the Survivor Series match but evolving it to an extent like that where the GMs and the commissioners can get involved without actually actually having to wrestle that's something I could get behind or this just I hate this because it leaves somebody out I Exactly. That's just really what just irks me the wrong way. Yeah, and I mean, they could still get some sort of physical confrontation sure. within the match. But here's the thing. I think the really the reason that they have Shane in this, beyond the fact that they think he's a draw, and beyond the fact that he is an exciting character, is the fact that Kurt Angle is on the Raw team. So we are going to have an authority figure from both brands represented in this match. So again, at the end of the day, I'm not so mad at this that I think it's going to break the match. I think it'll be fine. I actually think it'll be very entertaining. Mm-hmm. There's just that part of me that's kind of going, ah, I kind of wish they had another wrestling talent in the match instead of Shane McMahon. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm saying this 
Well, at the same time, being really excited that Kurt Angle is going to be wrestling in this match, too. <laughs> yes. So I'm kind of talking out both ends here. Well, one of the great through lines of SmackDown Live this week was the continuation building of the team, the continuation of the build of the team for Survivor Series over on the SmackDown Live brand. We had a match between Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler again, which was a fantastic match. It was it was fine. I, they ended up saving this feud, in my opinion, yeah. like a feud that started off really, like really poorly uh, has ended up being a really entertaining feud. And this was the rubber match. This was a blow-off match for this feud. It was a two-out-of-three falls match. And my only complaint is that there wasn't enough of it. Yeah. They cut to commercial break and missed the second fall. You know what I mean? Like, they did not have enough time to truly give this match its due. This was a pay-per-view quality match. Oh, thank you for just explaining what happened, because I was going to bring that up. I never saw the second fall. Yeah, it happened during the commercial break, and they had huh. to replay it. And it was a weird fall, too. Like, Dolph Ziggler bounced his head off of the ring post, and then Bobby Roode got the roll-up. It was a really quick one. I mean, it was, maybe it was showing some love to Cesaro and <laughs> the fact that those ring posts really are dangerous, and they're selling the ring posts now. Yeah. But I, I, whatever the ring was, post over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the ring post got over on this one. Right. Uh, the ring post got the second fall. No, the, 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 the point is, is that this was a damn good match. And, of course, Roode ends up with, a, by the way, a great finishing sequence, too. Uh, very entertaining. Roode picks up the win. Bobby Roode is now on the team for SmackDown Live. Fantastic. Yeah, great. I feel bad for Ziggler, but it really, it, this feud he should have lost. Like, just it makes sense for him to lose it. Uh, I Hopefully, at some point, the guy can get a break. Uh, but, th- you know, this is, his new gimmick is not entirely over with me, although I like aspects of it. But, man, I, 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 all I got to say at this point is a feud that I didn't want to see happen I now actually kind of wanted it to continue. And and to the further selling of this match by the commentary team just made it that much better. And, I, and I'm going to say it again. They have absolutely hit the Goldilocks with Tom Phillips and Corey Graves yep. on, on SmackDown Live. Byron Saxton hit or miss every now and then, but the three of them, the trio, is fantastic, especially Phillips and Graves, calling out the fact that I believe it was two years ago or three years ago, Dolph Ziggler all but saved, single-handedly saved uh, the that match. Yeah. Oh, they put, defeated, they put Dolph yeah. over big time yeah. in this. And, and I like the fact that there was a last-minute stipulation added to this match to give it some more weight. Whoever won was going to be on the team. That wasn't announced until the match pretty much started. Uh, so I liked that that had a little bit more weight to the match there. Uh, and, and like you said about the commentary, yeah, they're, they're great. And you know what? Graves is just great with everybody. His stuff with Booker T during the Elias and Jason Jordan segment on yeah. Monday Night Raw... I almost look forward to them commenting on Elias and whoever he's facing more and Jason Jordan more than I actually look forward to those interactions because they they flip and Booker becomes the heel commentator and Graves becomes the face and they just go at each other. Yeah. And it's so entertaining the way that Graves plays off of Byron Saxton too. I think it elevates Byron Saxton and it makes it all better as well. So yeah, they, they were great. They definitely helped sell this match. One thing that I got to thinking after this match, because we've been saying this for a while is Bobby Roode is weird as a face. He's very over. He does play a face well, but it's just weird still. And a part of me was saying, what, what if Bobby Roode swerves him and turns heel in survivor series mm, during the match, during the match? Oh just, man, I don't, I don't know if it'll happen. Just was something that was, I don't know. It just struck me. Well, we had what could be considered yet another dream match 
on a, a live TV show with Kevin Owens facing off against Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen them face each other since, I think, Global Wars back in the indies. I mean, this they was... They never actually got to each other in NXT, if I remember right, no, did they? they didn't. No, no not, that I, not that I recall. I don't believe so. Not, not on Kevin any television show. Kevin came up before. Yeah. Zayn was after, right? Okay. Yeah, I believe so. So this match, just instantly, the minute it was announced, was like, oh my God, sweet. Yeah, no, and it ended up being quite a good match, too. Obviously, both of these guys can go harder. This was obviously a television show, but they work really well together. This is how Nakamura should look against his opponents. Kevin really, does a really great job of putting him over, yep. making him look good, while still getting across his own character. They had a bunch of big moves. Uh, Kevin hit a, just a monstrous fisherman suplex off the middle rope again, and Nakamura looked like he was dead. Uh, Kevin took a good Kinshasa. Like this was a great match, even with Sami Zayn's interference. Uh, didn't Kevin Owens didn't pick up the victory? Randy Orton interfered and uh, took out Sami Zayn. Nakamura is now also on SmackDown Live's team. And, and I have to give special props to Kevin Owens here because of his staggering and his selling that he did for this match. Shinsuke's stuff can some kind because it is very striker oriented. It can look a little botchy if it's not taken well. It can look like it's it, it's not land it doesn't well, land it's well. Also, he's having to work more soft because it's the WWE True. and you can't you can't do the the hard hits that he's used to doing all the time. He can't really lay his stuff in. So he's having to be a little bit softer. And I think with Kevin, he was working a little stiffer, uh, or Kevin was just selling it better. One of the uh, two. Kevin was just selling it better. That's yeah. really what it comes down. All the staggering and that he just that he does. Oh, I don't know. It's some of those borderline flair. Some of those chest some kicks. Of his, yeah, some well, of those chest kicks looked like they were more legit than a lot of the ones he does to some <laughs> of the other guys. So I just I wanted to point that out. But there is another plot point here, and that is that Kevin and Sammy, since they've joined up, have been on a losing streak. And I'm wondering if this is a like a plot point that we're going to see at some point. Is they're embittered? by the fact they're being left out of this Survivor Series team. Is that going to be a plot point at Survivor Series? They're kind of the, that they're going to turn heel on the rest of the SmackDown roster. Screw job. Screw job, cost in the match, something like that. Is this going to go somewhere or is this just kind of a secondary thought and we'll get to them later according, you know, as far as the SmackDown writers are concerned here. I think this feud is just getting heated up. I think there is all kinds of stuff you could do with the three of these men. Uh, Sami Zayn versus Nakamura 2.0. I think there's nobody out there that wouldn't like to see that again. Uh, you know, I, I, there's all kinds of things you could do with these three guys beyond Survivor Series. And hopefully we get to see that. I don't know if it's going to continue after Survivor Series or, or, or what's going to happen, but we also have two more weeks to see how this develops, and I'm, I'm curious to see where they go. Another segment on this SmackDown that was really intriguing to me and I thought had a lot of upside was the New Day and Rusev and Aiden English business, where you had the New Day in their Halloween costumes because this was a Halloween episode. We had the nice little cobwebs in the back of every graphic that we had thrown out uh-huh. there. New Day dressed up as Hakeem the African Dream. Sucker! You had Brother Love, and you had Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. This was, first of all, just them walking down the hall in character as these old gimmicks was classic enough. But then they run into Rusev and Aiden English. Rusev, by the way, has been his character work since he's been kind of let loose in the last couple of weeks has been so much more fun. Yeah. And he's starting to get some some consistency to it as well. Where like uh, Renee Young asked him a couple of weeks ago, uh, Rusev, are you elated after your win? And he goes, what does what does elated mean? And then now he can't stop using elated. <laughs> I am his, elated. I'm, a, I'm elated in the ring. You know, just it's it's so much fun. 
And to, to have him have a random match against Big E because he, you know, he tosses out their candy, stomped his candy, stomps on it, and you don't, you don't want to. Oh, see you don't did it now, sucker! You don't want to see a sugar deprived Big E. <laughs> but apparently, a sugar deprived Big E cannot pick up the W because Aiden English interfered in this match and ended up costing Big E the victory, giving Rusev the victory, who then, of course, went off back to the back, very elated indeed. Yes. My question is this. Are we going to see what I predicted a couple weeks ago, which is a Rusev and Aiden English tag team starting to feud with the New Day? Well, what we heard at the end of SmackDown was that we were going to have a match next week between Rusev and AJ Styles, but that's now apparently been canceled. Yeah, that was supposed to be like the winner got on the team for SmackDown, right? Right, but because of Jinder Mahal coming out and attacking or stomping down AJ Styles... Now we are, that's been canceled and Rusev is now free to potentially face the New Day again. Well, this is, so this is a whole weird little thing that happened. So Rusev, after beating Big E, came backstage very elated and he talked to Shane McMahon uh, and said, you know, I, I deserve to be on the team now, right? And Shane said, no, you have to earn your opportunities. So next week you face AJ Styles and the winner is on the team. So Rusev said, okay, well, I guess that's how it has to be. And he walks off. So we think we're having a match next week between AJ and Rusev. Well, also on the show, AJ Styles had a match with uh, one of the Singh brothers, Samir Singh, I think. Beat him in three seconds. Beat him in three seconds, beat him down. But then Jinder jumped him right afterwards and beat the crap out of him, gave him, gave him a bunch of colosses and left AJ sprawled on the ground. After the show, on Twitter, I think a day or, a day or so later, Shane announced, hey, next week, we're actually going to have AJ Styles for the WWE Championship because Jinder beat him down. So here we go. Please. Rusev Rusev is now free next week, and he's already tweeted out, well, does this, this means I'm on the team automatically, right? We don't know. Is Rusev on the team now? Is AJ still fighting to be on the team? Uh, is, is Rusev going to now just be a tag team with Aiden against the New Day, and he's not going to be on the team at all? Is AJ going to go face Ginger Mahal and take the, the WWE Championship, and is it going to be AJ versus Brock at Survivor Stop Series? It. I have got so much wood right now. Well, here's AJ the, Styles and Brock Lesnar for oh. What is the likelihood? So here's there's a couple of aspects to this story, uh, and and before I get before you get too excited about AJ too possibly late. winning the championship, yeah. I'm going to tell you why he won't. Okay. Because right now, from what I understand, the plan is to have Jinder versus Brock still, with special guest referee John Cena as the main event to spice it up a little bit, because obviously no one's excited about Brock and Jinder, so they're going to spice it up by having Cena involved in it, which means AJ somehow, Singh Brothers, Singh Brothers, Jinder finish, AJ somehow next week is going to not get the WWE Championship. Jinder is going to have some sort of, something going on with John Cena in that main event of Survivor Series, and then Jinder will hold on to the title until WrestleMania, at which point John Cena comes back, wins the Royal Rumble, and ends up having a match with Jinder Mahal and gets his number 17 off of Jinder Mahal at WrestleMania. That is, from what I understand, that is the plan. Okay. This, not, I, I don't, I, that doesn't work for me at all. It doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> that just, that's, I haven't seen a single person who heard this booking news and was excited about it. The idea of a double main event at WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns and John Cena versus Jinder Mahal, that sounds like a bust waiting to happen to me. If you, whereas, if you have AJ Styles pick it up next week, go in, either win or lose to Brock, but he holds it to WrestleMania and you have him versus Nakamura for the WWE Championship. Now, 
Now, sir, you have my attention. But the problem is, I don't know if WWE sees that as being the big money event. I don't think they do yet. I think they see Cena gender because 1.8 billion people selling WrestleMania selling network rest- subscriptions exactly. in India. Cena, the biggest guy, and also still the biggest guy in India. Like he's bigger than gender in India. Come on, it's Cena, right? Versus now, the hometown now, boy. I don't know. A year ago, yeah. Now, I don't think so. Obviously, gender's a big deal over there now, too. But Cena is still the face of the company internationally. He really is. So if you have Cena versus gender, that's going to have international appeal. So I can see why they would want to go for that. I'm not happy about it. But like we said last week, we're only seeing it from the myopic point of view of an American watching the American version of WWE. We're not seeing what they're seeing internationally with their numbers and, and their the sales Hindi figures. commentary and all of that stuff. Going exactly. On. Yeah. So they might know something that we don't, and it might be more money for them to go for a Cena gender main event. It's what's best uh, for business. Uh. Exactly. That's best for business. Damn it. And you're uh, gonna like it. I have zero interest in any of that that you just rattle. And and frankly, if that's the WrestleMania card that for the main events that we end up with, oh boy, God oh help boy. us all. As long as they, you know what? It could be the undercard. It can be for the U.S. Championship. As long as they've got AJ Nakamura, they'll at least please the hardcores and have them at least still want to watch WrestleMania. Basically, I, I am I'm almost just lost for words at this point. Well, in that case, now let's that move on and talk about head. some of the other things that happened <laughs> on SmackDown Live before you go blow your brains out here. Uh, no! The uh, so we're building up for the match at Survivor Series between the current tag team champs on SmackDown Live, which are the Usos. Versus the current Raw Tag Team Champions. I guess they're the Tag Team Champions. I never see them with the freaking belts. But Ambrose and Rollins are the Tag Champs over on Raw. Usos and Ambrollins, frankly, that's the most anticipated match for me at Survivor Series. But they're doing some good stuff with the Usos between now and then. Because the Usos had a nice little promo about how they were going to beat Ambrose and Rollins. It didn't matter. They were, gonna, they were talking about how they were going to beat them at Survivor Series. When who should show up but the guys they're currently feuding with over on SmackDown Live... Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. And this was a wonderful little promo off. Yes. Uh, and I think Shelton Benjamin is the one that's reaping most of the rewards from this, if I'm being honest, because Chad Gable is good. He can wrestle and he's good on the mic and he's good at doing promos. But there was something about Gable just kind of dancing around almost in like a, a fly in your face kind of way that he was just getting at him. He was just, and just good for you, Chad. That was really awesome. I, I hadn't seen that kind of a hot animated Chad Gable in a long time. Well, and also, you know, I think this doing some good to Shelton Benjamin, who has had a charisma issue in the past, uh, you know, having trouble getting his character across and having fun with it. He's definitely reaping rewards from being with Chad Gable because he was having a whole lot of fun with this segment. He even turned himself into a meme at one point where he came running at the camera with his hands on his face. You know what I mean? Like it was <laughs> it was a really fun little segment, but it was also very short, very tight, very well written. And it got across everything that it had to in a very short period of time. We had the Usos feuding with Ambrose and Rollins. We had the Usos feuding with Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. We were three minutes and out on this segment. And I thought it was actually kind of the pinnacle of SmackDown writing. They got everything they needed to do done really quickly it was really fun and it was memorable knocked it out of the park on this so why didn't we spend any time on building the feud leading to survivor series between usos and we did they spent, they spent the first like couple of se- uh, seconds of the segment talking about them okay. you know what i mean like they got that in first we had we but had I, half I of completely it completely forgot about that by the yeah. time they got to the end of the promo well they they were they were there alone with renee i think it was renee young and yeah. they they did the little promo on ambrose and rollins boom 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 done 
Income Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. Boom, boom, boom. Done. It was all very fun. I thought it was very memorable. I was really, I was really happy with it. Let's go over and talk about what's been going on the last couple of weeks with Corbin, Baron Corbin, and Sincata. Um, this is an interesting thing that's developing, and I, I have my own personal theories on it, but I'd love to hear what you think around Sincara actually getting victories over the champion, Baron Corbin. So this is interesting. We were just talking about how Kalisto, they're trying to push him over on 205 Live and on Raw, and his ex-tag team partner, Sincara, who has been virtually AWOL ever since the brand split and the superstar shakeup, we haven't really seen him. Well, so behind the scenes, he's just signed a new multi-year contract. He's going to be with the WWE for a lot long, much longer time. Right. So it, it's good for them to build him up as a legitimate character and have him be a part of the show. And the way that they seems like they're doing that is by having him have a, a really what's evolved from a feud that everyone's kind of like, what? Why are we doing this? No one cares. To now they're actually starting to make his feud with Baron Corbin very personal, very aggressive, uh, and very, in my opinion, entertaining. Yeah. This week, uh, so last the last two weeks... Sin Cara has gotten wins over Baron Corbin the first time because of count out the second time because Baron Corbin beat him down and didn't answer the ref's five count. So the ref had to call the match and, and give Sin Cara the victory. And then this week, Baron Corbin started trying to rip his mask off and Sin Cara went nuts and beat down Baron Corbin until they had to call the match. And Baron Corbin, I guess, technically picked up the win this week. But afterwards, Sin Cara had a really passionate promo about how, you know, he has had a rough life. This mask is what gives him strength. It's what my makes familia. me. Yeah, my familia is what makes me a superhero to my kids. And if anyone tries to take that, I will kick their ass. And in that Damn. in that one moment, uh, he went from being like eh, a, an afterthought to like, whoa, they're onto something here. Yes, they're onto something with this character. If they stay on this track, you could get Sin Cara over really easily. And the audience was definitely reacting to him by the end of this match. So they might be onto something while we're treading water waiting for Baron Corbin and Miz to happen. And, you know, they're, Baron Corbin and Miz, it's a difficult thing to have people build a match when they're not on the same show. And Baron Corbin and the Miz have been kind of doing it on Twitter. They've been talking shit to each other on Twitter. But, I, man, I'm almost more invested in Baron Corbin and Sin Cara at this point. And I never thought I'd say that. Yeah, me either. And the interesting thing that I like to speculate on here for a moment is we were talking about how Raw was all scatterbrained and all over the place and not really having an identity, and we're seeing this influx of new talent coming in over the last year or two where we're getting these different styles, You know, very some striker styles from the New Japan style of promotion. Is this kind of trying to bring in more of the luchador style of wrestling or at least the look and the characters bring them back to prominence in the WWE. I mean, they've never really had a good job at doing that. Rey Mysterio, yeah. obviously being the one exception. Eddie Guerrero would be another one that you could make an argument for, but he was he was obviously never really a luchador because he didn't have the mask. Right. He could still wrestle the lucha style, but he could also wrestle any style because Eddie was a freak uh, who could pretty much do anything you wanted him to do. Uh, obviously with a history in lucha wrestling, but he didn't come across as representing the lucha culture per right. se. Right. Whereas Sin Cara, Kalisto, Grand Metalik, they are very like dyed in the wool luchadors. And I think that, you know, as far as that goes, Grand Metalik is kind of being left out to dry on 205 Live. Like we said, Sin Cara, Kalisto, excuse me. Like we said, Kalisto is, uh, they're, they're trying to get him over in the Rey Mysterio way, and it's just not clicking, maybe because of his own personal charisma issues. But what they're doing here with Sin Cara, I think, could work. Mm -hmm. And Sin Cara is an interesting case, too, because he's really big for a luchador. You know, he's a, he's a heavyweight size. I, I don't remember off the top of my head what he weighs in at, but I'd guess 
just from memory at like 225 or yeah. something like that. Like he's a, he's a pretty big boy. So, you know, I think that going forward, I'd like to see them try to do more of this with Sin Cara, give him, he, he cut a decent promo, you know what I mean? Which is hard to do in a mask. It was still muffled, but it got across. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they have, maybe they're onto something here. It's SmackDown hat does have a history of getting over dudes. You didn't think could get over. So, I'm very curious to see what happens there. We'll head it over to the women's division. Uh, we had a little bit of a segment that was, again, just kind of a way to get them on TV. It was all, all the, women the women lined up in a room. Yep. Talking to, uh, talk, was it Shane they were talking to? They were just talking to each other. It oh, was well, Becky. Okay. Becky Lynch was out there trying to, trying to rally the team, you know, get everyone on her side. Oh, that's Even right. The heels. It was Becky as and captain. She, right. Yeah, right. And although, I, I, one thing I do like, first of all, Becky has improved her promos a lot. Her yeah. promos are great now. Um, and another thing that she's trying to get over is like almost like a, her version of Too Sweet, which is the little like the teacup clink. The teacup. The teacup clink with the pinky up. Yeah, it's like her version of Too Sweet. And it's it's kind of getting over with me. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be going around doing that to my friends or anything, but <laughs> I dig it. She got everyone to do that for her. And then, of course, Natalia comes in and just, you know, pisses on everyone's parade. Right. So specifically Charlotte's though, which is the inter- only thing that took out of this and that was interesting to me at all, besides Becky rallying the team, was Natalia specifically calling out Charlotte and saying, Charlotte, you're the one who's going to let down the whole team. You're the reason that we're not going to win at uh, Survivor Series, which to me sounds like they're trying to build towards a Charlotte Natty feud after Survivor Series, which of course we all want because everyone wants Natty to drop the belt to Charlotte. Months ago. <laughs> She only wanted a couple, like a month or two ago. She's barely been champ. Month or two too long. <laughs> so uh, that's really all we had to say about that. Nothing else. Nothing else really coming along. Uh, I could. It's certainly inevitable that we have a Charlotte and a Natty feud, in my opinion, and it's all but inevitable that Charlotte does end up with the title again, probably to re- have a one hell of a reign in 2018. Well, as long as we end up having Charlotte versus Becky at WrestleMania, I'll be happy. That's that's the match I want to see them end up at. Whether they will or not, who knows? Well, we certainly have to talk about stranger er, er, er things, <laughs> fashion things, or fashion, stranger right. fashion, stranger whatever, whatever it is this week. Um, it was a little down this week. Yeah, I, I, it I fell wanted off more a bit. out of this. I think they they have now I mean, the writing. I think is still very fun. Uh, this was a really it, it was it, it was cute, yeah. but it wasn't. It didn't have just the the out out of the box insanity that they've had before it was they're getting a little too much into let's think of all the things we can parody about the subjects that we're parodying and less about making it about just having fun and and the wrestling in jokes and all of that now it's in jokes with the subjects that they're parodying right like how many stranger things in jokes can we have and they're not they're they're not filling the space with all of the wrestling jokes and like the the winking jokes to the like the hardcore wrestling fans right so i'm missing that a little bit also, the fact that it feels like they're building towards this inevitable confrontation with the Bludgeon Brothers, which, dear God, that that whole thing looks awful. With the, uh, they had a Bludgeon Brothers segment again with Harper and Rowan looking like cosplaying morons in the forest. Right. Uh, I don't see how they're going to pull up the plane on that one. The all I know is my favorite part about this whole segment was that uh, you <laughs> you had uh, Tyler Breeze playing Eleven, and Fandango thinks that he's hiding under the table, like under the blankets, like in the show. Yep. And then he comes up behind him and is like, well, if you're 11, who's under the table? And out comes Ty Dillinger out from under the table in, uh, in drag. He says he's not 11, he's 10. He's 10. Yeah. That was, that was, for me, the moment of the segment. But everything else kind of fell a little flat for me, and I hate saying that, but it's true. 
My favorite part was Connor coming in, and they they thought that he was the Demogorgon from from Stranger Things. But he Things. was, but he was also dressed as Kane, so they also yes. thought he was Kane invading, like Raw was invading. Yes. So yeah, no, there was there was again there was still some funny stuff here and some entertaining stuff, but it's definitely lost something from where it once was, and I I don't know exactly where to put the blame because they do write this. Fandango and Tyler Breeze do write these, and I start I have the feeling like they're kind of running out of stuff here. Bludgeon Brothers is DOA. I 100% agree with you on that, uh, which is a shame because both of those guys are fantastic, uh, especially Rowan's got really good character and uh, Harper is incredible in the ring for his size. I, I just This is DOA as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Harper is the most underutilized guy in WWE ta- like relative to talent yeah. and capability. They're completely missing the boat with him. Um, I'm glad. The one thing I can take out of this is Ascension has been on TV. And Ascension has shown off stuff that we didn't know they could do, comedy chops-wise. Yeah. And then this has been the case for the last couple of months while they've been involved with this. The, the, that's the only positive I'm taking out of this right now. Um, now that we're past the point where, like, look, Fandango and Tyler Breeze are over. They're good. They're good. We're not worried about them. Uh, Ascension is getting over. That makes me happy. The only thing I can hope is that somehow, somehow, there's something we're not seeing here with the Bludgeon Brothers, and they know how silly that is. And that's going to play into this Fashion Files universe somehow. And they, they write the ship on what looks to be an absolutely awful pair of gimmicks with the Bludgeon Brothers. I'm hoping they, that that somehow works out. But right now, I don't hold out too much hope. Not to end on a somber note, after what was a pretty solid SmackDown Live, uh, it did have the second lowest ratings for the SmackDown Live show since the brand split. Was it a year ago? Something like that. Yeah, no, this is, this is actually, you know, we were asking earlier about like which show was better this week, Raw or SmackDown. And I think we both agree, like inarguably, SmackDown was the stronger show. Uh, we actually, are, we're in the minority on that as far as like mm. online reviews go. Most people preferred Raw this week by a large margin. And I, I don't know what they watched versus what I watched. But man, I thought SmackDown was, was cleaner, leaner, meaner. Uh, told a lot better stories, set a lot of stuff up better, had funnier segments, had better segments, was more consistent. Most of them probably don't do podcasts where they over-analytically break down every single step of the show. And you don't kinda, think? And kind of just go with it instead of looking at it. <laughs> Are you talking about the WWE writers or the online guys? Uh, uh, the online guys who write articles every week about this stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Like, hey, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I'm, sure. just, I'm just sad to see that this show is not getting watched. It was, the ratings were up for a while there. And here's the, here's the one thing that I'll, I'll leave this on. I'll leave it on, a, on an up note. I'm not taking the ratings this week as something saying that SmackDown is losing viewers. I'm saying the ratings this week are due to the fact that it was on freaking Halloween. Yeah. Imagine on Halloween. That. Everybody was out trick-or-treating. Yeah. But so before we get doom and gloom about SmackDown Live, it was on Halloween. It'll be just fine. Well, there's one other thing I'll throw in there as well is I think this is, uh, you know, it, it, you got most of you guys know that I also host a show, another show called The Concession Stand with with our other friend Andy Nelson. Yes, you had a bumper at the beginning of the show for that. As you we recall. did, actually, yeah. we did. So not to double promote. And you were actually on that show this week uh, talking about horror movies and stuff like that. But the point I wanted to make here is that I think that we, we constantly over there talk about cord cutting and the evolution of how people consume content. And I think that this, this might be more of an indicator of that. Maybe more people are watching it on Hulu now. I'd be curious to compare and contrast the numbers of uh, who's is are the Hulu numbers going up? Do we know? Will we ever know? How do you check know. that? Because they don't I release no their idea. numbers. Well, I, Nielsen only Nielsen does have a way to to view 
things that are watched online. Hulu, Netflix, all that stuff, they are reporting More to Nielsen. More specific shows? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, And the net, they're doing it to the networks. So the networks are reporting that back to... Um, Hulu gives the numbers to the networks, and the networks report it to Nielsen, right? Those numbers are absorbed, but they're kept different from the Nielsen ratings for live viewing of cable TV versus the Nielsen ratings for the viewing of digital content. Well, and as one thing that we've talked about on this show before is that it's more viable to watch SmackDown on Hulu than Raw because Raw, you miss half the show. It's cut down from three hours to an hour and a half Whereas SmackDown is just cut down to an hour and a half, and you're well, it's not really cut down. Once you factor in the the, the commercials, commercials and they, they basically cut out some entrances, it's That's an hour it. and twenty minutes. You still minutes. get pretty yeah. much the entire show. Yeah. So you know it makes more sense to watch SmackDown on Hulu than it does to watch Raw on Hulu. So that might be a factor as well. Who knows? All I know is we're still two weeks away from Survivor Series, and we've still got a lot to come between now and then in terms of plot, in terms of feuds, in terms of who knows what else is what kind of swerves we're going to get going forward. Will Raw invade SmackDown? Will there, will there be other swerves in terms of the rosters of the five men teams, the five women teams that are the elimination matches in Survivor Series? There's so much that could still happen, Nick. Good thing we have a show next week where we can talk about it. Yes, and in addition to that, we're going to be having a Wide World of Wrestling show next week because there is a ton of stuff going on outside of the WWE that we have to cover. Yeah, I mean, Progress just had their Dance Macabre. We d- we got Bound for Glory from TNA this weekend or Impact or whatever it's called now. Anthem got, or whatever, uh, whichever. <laughs> They're moving to Canada. Did you hear this? They're, they might be moving to Canada. They might be selling all their stuff to yeah, Canada. Booze is cheaper up there, whatever. I guess, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, New Japan's going to have Power Struggle. I heard that. Uh, you've got, you've got uh, Dragon's Gate having Gate of Destiny. Plus, We've got two weeks of NXT and, and 205 Live we're going to go over. So, yeah, we're going to have a massive show next week. And that's just that's not even talking about two weeks from now where we have the go-home shows for Raw and SmackDown before Survivor Series. So there's a lot to come next week. If you think this was a packed show, Woo! just you wait. Yes, indeed. Well, guys, that's our show for this week. Come on over to Facebook and join the Busted Wide Open discussion group on Facebook.com. You can also find us on Twitter at BWO podcast. Send us an email with your feedback. Maybe we'll read it here on the show. BWO at orbitaljigsaw.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review, a five star rating or a no star rating. But if you leave us a no star rating, you got to tell us why and you got to tell us what we can improve to make ourselves better and get that five star rating from you. We definitely want to make the best show possible. We love feedback. We love hearing what you like and we love working on the show to make it the best show possible for you listeners out there. Absolutely. And uh, if you like what we're doing and you want to hear more, we want to do this more often. We want to do some special events. We're going to see the NXT in Riverside on November 11th next weekend. One of the only reasons you'll get me to Riverside. Oh, yes. It's about one of the only reasons to go to Riverside. But uh, we're also going on December 1st to the all-women's card of Rise in, here in Southgate, California. It's Mercedes Martinez facing off against Tony Storm. Oh, that sounds That's horrible. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. But head over to patreon.com slash BWO. Throw a couple of bucks in the tip jar. Sign up to do your very own shoot promo here on the show with Ian and myself. Yeah, you can shoot hard on any topic you want in pro wrestling or the, the wide world of pro wrestling. Anything you want, any character you want. You can even shoot hard on us if you want. We're used to it. Hey, now. Hey, now. Well, I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over on Twitter at Data Center Dude. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous. You can find me on Twitter at Sir Ian Dangerous. But by God, nobody stop the damn match! This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. 
for more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.